Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today's episode 195, we're going to be interviewing Crystal. How are you doing, Crystal? I'm excellent. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you on here and talk about your story. So let me uh, ask you the first question here that I ask everybody. Tell me about your childhood and growing up. Well, um, I had kind of a rough start in my childhood. I was born uh, premature. Uh, six and a half weeks early, I came home at four pounds, six ounces. I had my umbilical cord wrapped around my neck. Um, they say that you can you can tell who's born predator and who's born prey by how long you get to lie around sucking on teat per se, you know, and um, I was definitely not necessarily born prey, but um, I, I had a rough start. Yeah. And um, by the time I was two, they uh, diagnosed me on my two-year-old checkup. They diagnosed me with leukemia. They thought I had leukemia. They said I wasn't making red blood cells. And by three and a half years old, I nonchalantly came up to my mom and was like, guess what I did today? And she's like, what's that, honey? And I was like, I, you know, sucked Mr. Blah, blah, blah's dick, you know? And so uh, my childhood started off pretty rough. Like what I, age was that? I went at three, three and a half. Wow. Yeah. So... I mean, it started with there. I mean, I hadn't even been making red blood cells for a whole year before I had already been introduced to that side of the adult world. And um, by the time I was in kindergarten, I had lost my virginity to my cousins playing house before I was even in kindergarten. Um, how, they, how does a child even know about that stuff? Well, I didn't. That's why I was like, guess what I did today, mom? You know, I'm like, you know, how was your day, honey? She left me with the babysitter, you know, and it was an older gentleman. And, you know, my mom worked, my mom worked, my dad worked, you know, and um, it was, you know, you're like, a, a, like a lot of parents have experienced. They have to, they have to make the bills. They have to go to work, yeah. you know? So um, when she came home and asked me how my day was, you know, I just told her what was, what was going on, you know? And um, she did not expect that. No, definitely not. Um, that man ended up in jail for multiple counts of not just myself, but from his nieces and stuff like that. So he um, did go to jail. Good. Yeah, he did end up going to jail. I mean, and I don't remember the event specifically, but my I know my my body did. My my body did. My mind did. You know. Yeah, and that's a tough one. As I grew, as I grew older, um, like then I was reintroduced to those types of behaviors with my cousins. You know, um, I was a very, like, I, I got in a lot of trouble in like preschool and stuff like that for, you know, um, inappropriate behavior. Um, like I remember the little boys on the playground would pay me like five cents to see my private parts in the TPs at the preschool playground. Um, I was a very unhealthy, popular child, you know, um, but I had no idea the detriment that it would cause in my adult life. Like I always kind of just figured that 
oh, it doesn't phase me, you know, like I'm, I'm this spiritual warrior badass, like, excuse my language, I don't know if that's, oh, that's okay, you can curse as much um, as you want. I'm like, I'm this spiritual warrior badass, like, that, this doesn't phase me, you know, but little, little did I know that it affected every single decision, my decision making abilities as an adult, like, was greatly affected by the experiences I had as a child. Well, yeah, I mean, to be doing stuff at three years old, that's pretty friggin' traumatic. You know, and then they put me in this room where they give you the anatomically correct dolls, you know, and I'm just in this room playing with these these anatomically correct dolls. And then all of a sudden they took my dad away. You know, they started investigating my dad. So like I'm I'm like four, you know, four or five, and they take me into this room and um you know, then all of a sudden my whole family's disrupted, you know, and at that time, my mom had a mental breakdown, you know, and I was staying with my mom, me and my little brother were staying with my mom. And I remember I was learning how to whistle one day and I refused to take a nap, you know, and my mom had this complete mental breakdown and started like stabbing everything in the house, you know, and had to have um, my dad come and get me. I mean, it turned out that my dad wasn't like, they, they were just investigating my dad, you know, like they took him out of the house as a precaution. But as a young child, like, I had no idea what was going on, you know, like all of a sudden my dad's taken away, like my mom's stabbing up everything. It, it, um, it definitely like, um, taught me to keep my mouth shut, you know, like to not say these things, to not, you know, to not exhibit sort of these sort of behaviors or, um, which really put a detriment in my life, to, in my ability to say no, you know, I went through, um, my teenage years, I was a complete hell on wheels. Like I grew up in Las Vegas, Nevada. You know, I was on Sally Jesse Raphael before I was in, before I finished the fifth grade um, for looking older than I was. And they flew us first class from New York, from Grand Junction to New York City. And um, like we went shopping and got new clothes and we were super excited to be there. There was like me, Misty, Francis and Tamara. There was these other girls, you know, and I was still so innocent, innocent minded at the time that my idea in New York City of fun was counting taxis underneath my window. You know, I remember counting like 200 taxis underneath my window in less than two minutes. You know, and then we get to the studio and they redressed us and they tried to stuff my bra and then they they put us out on stage and there were like older gentlemen that were antagonizing us like oh well if you dress like that what do you expect you know and once again I kept my mouth shut like even though my whole insides were screaming like oh they dressed us like this you know um I just kind of sat there quietly you know and just like went with the show but I was on Sally Jesse Raphael but by the time I finished the fifth grade year and I got an award from my fifth grade teacher congratulating me for being brave enough to share my feelings on Sally Jesse Raphael. Who, who um, who's someone who contacted them? My mother. <clears throat> my mom called. It was like, oh, does your daughter look older than she is? And it's driving you crazy. My mom was like, yep, and picked up the phone and called them. And uh, they flew us first class out there. I mean, it was it was an interesting experience, but I definitely felt like like it kind of set in the identity of being this rebellious, you know, like, oh, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what, who you are, you know, like you're this, like, it was just like overly sexualized, you know, as a, um, as a child and then as a young adult for sure. And then um, 
after we got back from New York, my, my father had moved in with my mom's best friend. Like my mom and dad got a divorce and he ended up marrying my mom's friend, which she found in a survivor's group for um, traumatized women, you know, and she was gathering information on, you know, anytime that my mom and dad would fight or whatever, she would pick up little bits of information. Oh, well, she won't do this. Well, I'll do that. So my dad ended up marrying my mom's best friend and, um, we moved to Las Vegas, Nevada, where my, my grandmother was, where my mom's mom was. And we moved sight unseen at like two o'clock in the morning um, to this apartment that was like two inches thick full of cockroaches, you know? And I remember walking in with me and my mom, and my little brother at like two o'clock in the morning and my mom just crying her eyes out, you know? Like not only is she going through a divorce and she's had to deal with her own life traumas, you know, without nowhere near the amount of help that we have now or the understanding that we have now, you know? Um, I remember it being very traumatic when we moved there. And right away, I fell into the worst group of kids I could possibly find, started ditching school in the sixth grade, um, uh, had robbed this lady's house. Um, it, I turned into a very rebellious teenager. But um, in Las Vegas, Nevada in 1994, we had just moved into a trailer park off of Washington Avenue. It was like our brand new start away from our cockroach infested apartments. Like I was so excited to finally have my own room again, you know, cause me and my mom shared a room forever. My, my little brother had his own room, but me and my mom shared a room, you know? I was super excited to have this, my own room, you know? And my 13th birthday came with a lot of new changes. Like, you know, now I had this phone that was now super glued to my head, my very own room and the cute older guy with his own place and own car wanted me to come over. You know, so I devised a plan to sneak out of my house. And right after my 13th birthday, um, I snuck out of my house for my very first time. And from the very first time I snuck out of my house was the very first time that I'd ever seen it. And from the first time I ever seen it, it came in a brick. And I thought I had found the love of my life. And we even had the same name. You know, and my name's Crystal. Like that was the first time that I had ever experienced um, methamphetamines. And it was with an older gentleman and... Um, did you How old me? were you? I was 13. When you first smoked crystal meth? Yes. Uh, that was At 13 what, years old. Yeah, that's crazy. What was the first drug you ever tried? Was that it? Yeah. That's a hell of a drug for the first one to do. Yeah. By the time I was 14, I was in um in inpatient drug counseling. Like I I like I thought I found the love of my life and we even had the same name. I used to make jokes about it. Like, you know, we even have the same name, you know, like Crystal, all right, you know? Um, and I turned, like, I, I turned very, um, like I started running away. I was an inpatient, no outpatient. I was an outpatient drug counseling by the time I was 14 years old. And then um, my mom lost everything. Like she lost her job. We lost our house. We lost our apartment. You know, she was going through her own difficult times. I mean, it's hard enough to raise two children, you know, in Vegas, you know, like, um, and we ended up moving into Naked City, which is like right next door to the stratosphere. Like I lived on Las Vegas Boulevard when I was like 14 or 15 years old. My That's a dangerous place to prostitute. be. My next door neighbors were prostitutes, you know. Um, I remember the first time I ever smoked crack was with the lady that lived next door. And she always used to try to give me these sequined belly shirts, you know, and introduce me to her older gentleman friends. How old were um, you when you first smoked crack? Uh, 14. So you no, were coming 15. along quickly. In between 14 and 15. Okay. And 
Um, I ditched my entire freshman year of high school. My, my half my sophomore year, I ended up getting kicked out my junior year. Um, and I was in and out of drug counseling and I was constantly running away. Um, I, my other addiction I had was uh, to codependent relationships. Like I not only was trying to fill a void within myself with drugs, I was trying to fill a void, you know, and, and maintain this identity I had of this wild, you know, like girls gone wild type of teenager. You know, like I um, was always hanging out with older gentlemen, um, running away. I, I was I was hell on wheels for sure. And um, I then moved into the desert with this homeless boy that I met. And um, like, I tried to go to high school, like I lived in a coven, like there was all kinds of stuff. Like there was all kinds of, of happenings that happened by the time I was, from the time I was 13 until the time I moved from Vegas, which was around 17 years old. What's a coven exactly? Is that A coven, like um, I grew up very pagan, like a witch's coven. Like, yeah, that's what um, I thought. <laughs> there were, there were a bunch of people that lived in those apartments. It was called the Aztec, and it's right on Las Vegas Boulevard. It's right next to the Stratosphere. And if you looked up, look up the worst places to live in Las Vegas right now. My old apartments pop up, and they're all condemned and boarded up. And like I lived there when there was life, you know. I mean, sure, there would be people getting their throat slit on my front porch at you know Christmas Eve. There were still blood stains on the floor, like. You know, I've seen somebody get their head blown off. Like I, I used to like go to the bus stop on at four o'clock in the morning on Las Vegas Boulevard trying to actually go to school. And um, I got picked up by a cab driver one time and I thought he was just being nice. You know, I was like, oh wow, these people are just so nice, you know? And he ended up taking me to his house and he thought I was a prostitute, you know? And I didn't know how to tell him no. So um, he ended up doing what he did with me and he dropped me off in front of the gas station by my school and gave me $20 and a pack of cigarettes like I was a cheap prostitute and I never said anything to anybody about it you know I just went went through my day like nothing had ever happened you know there was a lot that I went through that I you know like disassociation was probably one of my favorite my favorite mechanisms for escaping like my actual reality you know Gotcha. And, um, after I got kicked out of school, like I lived in the desert with this, this homeless boy, like we moved into, I called it bum utopia. There were hundreds of people that lived in this desert. And like, we made this little hut, you know, it was like this two, this two roomed hut. We had a California king size bed. Um, we pulled all the pieces out of a junkyard that was right there, you know, and um, we had like a, a fireplace and a flue and, you know, it was like this little house that we built in the desert in bum utopia that I was living, literally living on the streets when I was, um, like 15, 16 years old in Vegas. Where were your parents? Um, well, my dad was in Grand Junction, uh, married to my mom's best friend and my mom didn't know how to cope. You know, there was absolutely no control over me. You know, um, she would try different things. She would ground me. She'd be like, oh, you're grounded, you know, and I remember one time after I just came home, I was barefoot, it was like eight o'clock in the morning, and I had some runners from California come, you know, and they're like, hey, we've got this, we've got this fire, you know, we just need $60 to get back home, you know what I mean, and there's like four ounces of, of crystal, you know, of dope, and I was like, all right, cool, let me make one phone call, and my mom's like, where are you going, you can't go anywhere, you're grounded, you know, and I'm like, I'm not going to go anywhere, I don't even have any shoes on, well, I took off anyways. Like I took off at eight o'clock in the morning barefoot so I could, I could get these guys their 60 bucks and then the rest, the rest was mine, you know? And, um, that was one of the scariest points. Like, like, I think I was up for about 30 days straight 
And then once all the drugs ran out, everybody started fighting with each other. You know, they were fighting with each other and fighting with each other. And I really didn't have anywhere to go. And my grandma was in the hospital at the time. So I had her keys because I used to help take care of her because she had like diabetes. And, you know, I would go over there and poke her finger and like help her help her do her laundry and, and whatnot. And she was in the hospital. So I had her keys to her apartment. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go to my grandmother's house. So I go to my grandma's house and um, I called my mom. My mom's like, where are you? What's going on? I mean, I'd been gone for about a month at that point, you know, took off at eight o'clock in the morning barefoot. She hadn't heard from me since, you know, and I called her and I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm arranging to come home. Like I'm going to come home, you know, and she's like, okay. So I hang up the phone and I'm like, okay, I'm going to take a nap. And I laid down to take a nap, what I thought was a nap. And when I woke back up, I called my mom and she's like, what the fuck, Crystal, where have you been? It's been four days since you called me. Like I literally slept for four days straight. Like I could, I didn't get up to pee. I didn't get up to eat. I didn't get up to anything. Like it, it completely blew my mind. Like at that point in my life, I remember looking down at my wrist and I could touch my pinky all the way to my middle knuckle, you know, and I can't even touch my pinky now. Like I can't even touch it, but I could touch it all the way to my middle knuckle. And, um, yeah, then I went to job core, like I ended up going to job core and I got kicked out of job core. And after I got kicked out of job core, like my mom had packed up all of our stuff and we were moved, we moved to Pueblo, Colorado which is where I'm at right now is Pueblo, Colorado. And, um, I continued off and on, you know, like I wasn't as hardcore into methamphetamines when I first moved to Pueblo because I didn't really know anybody. I didn't know where to find it. You know, um, and I started hitchhiking and hopping trains. Like I traveled with the Rainbow Family for years, and I was still in and out. Which, like, which the Rainbow Family? The, the Rainbow Family is like a group of gypsies. It's like the world's largest non-member, non-organization um, that there is. It happens all over the world, and it happens all year long. Um, like people gather in the national forest for uh, like the nationals is in July, you know, there's nationals and there's regionals that happen and it happens all your looks like it's literally like a band of moving gypsies, you know, and it's all colors, all creeds, all nationalities, all classes that all form together to that, that are joined as a rainbow and be known as the rainbow warriors. It's like based off of a Hopi Indian prophecy, you know, and um, I traveled with them for a long time. Like I used to hitchhike and hop trains and then I lived on school buses and, um, you know, in and out, like I didn't have as much of a hardcore, you know, methamphetamine addiction then. Like I did start to get, I did get into needles like a little later in, in life. Um, I ran into, I was in Albuquerque and um, I was staying with a, uh, a guy that was a vet in the, in the military. You know, it was a, not a vet, um, uh, med, he was a med person in the military. Medic. And, yeah, medic. And um, he had a real bad like intravenous coke problem so uh, of course I fell into to that situation and um, you started shooting up coke yeah where I was point I was pulling needles out of a Russian roulette can when there were no fresh ones you know and I could even I still couldn't even do it myself and I had already developed like that much of a want of a need of trying to get that that one that first one back you know so I escaped out of there and, and never went back to needles. Like it, it, it was a very, very short, but very, um, very eye-opening experience for me. You know, um, I left that situation and like I hitchhiked back and forth across the country for years. Um, and then I found out that I was pregnant 
I found out I was pregnant before my 21st birthday and um, I hopped the train back home and kind of stayed with my mom. And then after I found out I was pregnant, like I, I swore I would never do drugs again, you know, like, and then I kind of turned to the bottle. I'm like, well, at least it's not fucking mess. You know, like that was my excuse for drinking three half gallons of Jack Daniels. And, you know, like I partied with, with punk rockers, you know, like they would go through three, four five cases of PBR, like five, three, four half gallons of Kentucky deluxe, you know, and, and, and it, it was like the cool thing to do, you know? And then I joined a band. I learned how to tattoo, you know, I stayed off of, off of mess, you know, the whole time that I had my son until I relapsed. Um, he was about 15 when I started doing meth again. And I went from absolutely nothing to full on, like running a hundred miles a day, um, just absolute dumb shit. You know, and my friend ended up getting shot by the police. Like, what, it, what, what did he do that he got shot? He was, he got caught in a stolen car. Um, and I think he shot at them or something. Huh. And yeah, don't they, shoot at the police. Yeah, they turned him into a quadriplegic, you know, but. Oh, that's no good. He got shot in the spine. Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. So it like, and they were going to release him to me. And it, it was weird because I kept telling him, if I could give you anything, I would give you your freedom, you know? And it's like, now all of a sudden he had his freedom, but he, he couldn't move. It's like this weird, like, like he, he actually just recently passed away from, from those injuries, like years later, you know, um, it just got real. I got real bad real fast you know like all of a sudden my once that my once house that was a family home was now like a trap house where I was finding needles like hiding in places and um like I always I went from not having a, a door on my bedroom to now my my door was constantly locked you know and it started out with a relationship you know like I'm like oh well I really like this guy and I want him to be, trust me. And, you know, so I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do this with him, you know, and then it would be from me only doing that with him to, Oh, why don't you just break me off a piece and I'll take it home to, you know, well, fuck that. I'm going to start selling this shit. So I have my own shit. And yeah, I got, it got bad. There were, I was, I was pretty fortunate as far as like the positions that I could have been in compared to um, like where I'm at now. You know. So, at what age did you realize? I mean, because it sounds like you're doing a lot of stuff. What age did you realize you had a problem? I didn't realize I had a problem until um, about two years ago. I am um, exactly twenty months, twenty-one months sober as of yesterday. Congratulations! And thank you very much. Um, and I didn't realize that I even remotely had a problem. Like I, I started going to therapy for my childhood problems. And then I ended up in a relationship with somebody that was doing inappropriate things with his daughter. And um, I had like, I had to turn him in, which caused a whole other set of, like, I completely lost myself like I gave up the will to live like I was so mad at God and I was so mad at the universe and I was so angry that I had been put in that position you know like I it was one of the roughest things that I ever had to do you know was to actually face the reality that somebody that I loved was doing inappropriate shit with his daughter and it took me a long time to 
like understand like how hard that was, which, which gave me a huge perspective towards like my mom, you know, like towards my mom, my mom's mom, you know, it was the hardest decision I ever, I've ever had to make was, was making that phone call. You know, I kept telling myself, well, what if you're wrong, Crystal? What if you're wrong? You know, and I kept seeing these things and the more, like the more it just wouldn't go away, you know, and I started doing research on, you know, the different types of pedophiles and like what, what they do and what grooming is. And, you know, all of this, all of this intense research about this person, because I didn't, I didn't want to falsely accuse him, you know, but I also, it was the hardest decision I've ever, like, I, it broke my, it broke my soul and it absolutely broke my soul. But at the same time, it gave me um, a lot of awareness, you know, like I, I gained a lot of awareness of what, um, of how hard, because, you know, before I was always like, oh, well, if I ever found a motherfucker doing that, I would just cut his balls off this and that, da, 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 you know, like, and then once I got, like, oh my God, am I seeing this? Am I not seeing this? Am I seeing this? Am I not seeing this? I mean, I, like, I loved him, you know, it was, it was really difficult for me to face that reality that that was actually going on, you know, and then nothing ever, like, I never got to talk to the cops. I never got to talk to anybody. Like it was all handed off to the, I mean, cause the little girl wasn't mine, you know, and that was one of the things that used to tell me all the time, well, she's not your daughter. There's nothing you can do about it. You know, like I, there was, there was a lot that happened, you know, and um, it made me understand like, how difficult it really is you know and um it gave me a lot more like like forgiveness towards like my family towards my family's family that didn't have the strength to face that reality you know um it was really difficult you know I lost you sorry about that so once you realized you had a problem what did you do about it? Well, I, um, at, at first it was just kind of like in my mind, you know, like, oh, I have a problem. Like I need to do something about it. But, you know, like I kept having the same people around me, you know, um, one of the first things that I had to do was get rid of the people that I had that were around me, you know, like you can't, change your you can't change yourself living in the same environment you can't heal in the same environment that's hurting you so like I had to really learn how to say no like saying no was one of the hardest things that like as an adult I didn't even know that I didn't have the ability to have you know because as a young a young girl like my ability to say no was kind of taken from me so as an adult I didn't realize that I didn't have the ability to say no you know, I would always say yes. So can I come live with you? Yeah, sure. You know, even though I didn't want to, you know, so I really had to go inside and learn how to honor my true feelings, you know, to, to stop saying yes to things that I didn't want to do, to stop saying yes to people that I didn't want living with me, to stop saying yes to situations like, no, I'm not going to go run this freaking pound of whatever to whoever you know like I'm I'm not going to put myself in that position like I don't care if you're going to be my friend or not you know because I had gotten real used to and accustomed to being the nice one you know like okay yeah I'm down you know I'm down I'm let's go do this you know and that actually put put it put me in a lot of situations that 
I didn't need to be in because I didn't know how to say no. So one of the first steps that I took towards my recovery was, um, was removing the people in my situation that I knew were bad for me, you know? It wasn't that I didn't love them. It's just, I was trying to learn how to love myself. And um, so I started slowly like distancing myself from the people I got rid of, you know, I had to evict one of my best friends in my backyard. You know, that was like one of my biggest first steps towards my recovery was getting rid of, you know, the people that I loved, you know, I loved them, you know, but they, I couldn't, I couldn't continue, you know, doing what I was doing and having my son like disown me and, you know, um, having these boyfriends that wouldn't leave. And it was just, it got too chaotic. Like I was, I realized I was how unhappy the life I had, I had was, you know, like I had cameras on my cameras. I couldn't trust anybody around me. I was falling asleep in my car. You know, my son didn't want to come home. Um, my mom was worried about me. Like she always had that worried tone. Oh, are you, what are you doing? You know what I mean? And there was always this worried tone behind her. So I had to, had to stop getting rid of those people or start getting rid of those people. And um, like I started getting into spirituality, like I found the whole um, term starseed, you know, and light worker. And um, smoking with my ex-boyfriend, like we, we were blowing clouds of smoke into a black background, you know, because I heard you could see demon spaces or whatever in this in, in the smoke from smoking meth, you know, so we were taking this black background and we were blowing bubbles into this in, in, in a cloud and taking pictures. Well, it wasn't like demons that I ended up seeing. It was faces of people that I knew. Like one looked like my neighbor that lived in my backyard. One looked like my boyfriend, you know, and like it dawned on me that those were the souls that this drug had taken, you know? So then I started really um, doing research about Archangel Azrael, which is like the angel of death. Cause my, my boyfriend at the time kept asking me, what's your demon's name, Crystal? What's your demon's name? You know? And I, the only name I could come up with was Azrael. So I started doing research on who Azrael was and Azrael isn't a demon. Azrael is the archangel. He's an archangel. He's the angel of death, you know, which completely fascinated me. And then I started doing more research into what role Arch, like what role Azrael played, you know, and he's the helper of God, he who helps God. And um, I started like really delving into the whole spiritual side of stuff. Like, I'm like, I'm a star seed. I'm here to uplift the, the, the consciousness of the planet. You know, like I'm here as a volunteer and none of these things happened to me. They happened for me, like almost like a senior, like I had a tattoo shop at one point and uh, my tattoo shop was named Sin Eater. And a Sin Eater um, used to get paid by the rich people in town to eat the sins of a deceased person so that they could get into heaven. And to me, like the whole idea of being a star seed was like the real life version of like a, a sin eater, but like on a galactic scale, you know, and it was something that I really identified with. Like once I started hearing, you know, and like doing research about what a star seed what it was and what my mission was here to do, like anytime anybody asks me what my job is, I tell them that I'm a light worker, that I'm a star seed, you know, doesn't matter. I'm here to uplift the, the, the collective consciousness. <coughs> excuse me I'm just getting over being sick so <coughs> excuse me so what do you do nowadays to keep yourself sober 
<clears throat> well, I Give us found some tips purpose. And tricks. You I found think, purpose, like, you said? Purpose, yeah. I found that, well, I found recovered on purpose. Um, recovered on purpose, like this guy ended up in my inbox out of nowhere, like during the COVID thing. And he was asking me about polyamorous relationships because my relationship status said polyam or open. But really, I meant that I was in an open relationship with God. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> and um and I was like well who is this guy that I'm talking to because I have like 5,000 people that are on my on my Facebook page because I was in a band like I sang for a punk rock band and was a tattoo artist and like um during my like after I found out I was pregnant before I relapsed like I had got a degree and was in a band and traveled and you know had my own tattoo shop and then then after I relapsed like that all fell apart but um he ended up in my inbox asking me about open relationships, you know, but my open relationship meant that I was in an open relationship with God. And I was like, well, who is this guy that I'm talking to? You know, who is this Adam person? So I go to click on his profile and it said um, owner and co-founder of Recovered on Purpose, you know, and I was like, Recovered on Purpose? What the fuck does that mean? You know, like Recovered on Purpose. Like it just kept going on and on in my head, you know, because we used to make jokes, me and my friends would be like, oh, this moment of silence is brought to you on by mistake, or, you know, this moment of silence was brought to you on purpose, you know, so when I ran across the recovered on purpose, like, just those words, I was like, what? Like, I wanted, I not only just, I wanted to say it and, and mean it, you know, because I have a tendency to say what I mean and mean what I say, you know, to the best of my human ability, so I was like, man, I really just want to say that and mean it, and um, I started, like he does podcasts like you do, you know, and um, he, uh, like I started watching him, you know, and I just kept saying that to my mind, I'm recovered on purpose, even as I'm, I'm smoking, you know, like, no, I'm recovered on purpose, you know, um, I started using the law of attraction to help change my inner dialogue so that I can create my outside, my outside um, world or change my outside world you know, um, that's how I quit smoking cigarettes. Like I'm like, I'd be smoking a cigarette and I'm like, I don't smoke cigarettes, you know? And the more I told myself that, like, I don't smoke cigarettes anymore. You know, um, I told myself as I was like, I wrote a book and, um, that's great. Yeah. I wrote a book. Um, I just published it on my uh, 41st birthday, October 2nd. And it is, um, say you love a testimony, a testimony of triumph over the darkness of childhood addiction and um, childhood trauma and addiction. And I dedicated it to my inner child, you know? Um, but I learned how to do all of this through Recovered on Purpose, you know? Um, like I just kept watching in the background. I, I didn't say much, you know, I would, I would comment or like or whatever. And I just kept telling myself that like, no, I'm, I'm gonna, re I'm recovered on purpose. And I really just wanted to mean it, you know, and then I found out that he was doing um, a speech at at a, a, a meeting. So I drove up to Springs. I'd never been to an NA meeting or an AA meeting before, you know, and um, he was up there speaking. So I was like, I'm going to go up there to go to this meeting, you know, and I showed up late. And um, I think I was 30 or 60 days clean at that point, you know, I was really proud of myself. I was like, yeah, okay, I'm doing it this time. Like I'm, 
super I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do it I'm gonna go meet this person I'm gonna go to this meeting you know and I then I show up late and I go up to go walk up to the door and like I could hear him talking and there's like a whole room full of people and I go put my hand on the doorknob and be like no 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 you can't go in there you know and then I would sit down on the steps and I was still smoking so I was smoking smoking a cigarette and I'm like crying like why'd you even come up here if you're not even gonna go inside you know and I would go and stand at the door again and try to open it and be like no 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 you can't go in there you'll disrupt everything so then I go sit back down again and then finally somebody see me you know through the through the through the window of the door and he's like come inside you know and he opened the door and I was like I tried to take off booking like oh shit busted you know and um he made me go inside and the only seat available was like in the very front row you know and Adam like I disrupted the whole thing and I come and sit down like right in the very front and like I remember being so nervous like I was embarrassed I was nervous like I'd never been to a meeting before and didn't even know exactly why I was there but um I'd actually made it inside so then I started going to meetings he assigned me a sponsor which I had no idea what a sponsor was I was like okay sure sponsor all right you know like I don't know what this means but I'm I'm down you know and um like I was very welcomed like everybody hugged me they gave me all these phone numbers like all this stuff but um my sponsor lived in a different town than I did so um, that didn't end up working and I felt like like they were going to think I was a failure you know like I was like oh well they're just going to think that I'm failing that I just went back to doing this you know and it was like kind of like my own my own personal mission to be to be able to say like no I am recovered on purpose you know and I don't think that Adam took me very seriously you know like I'm sure he gets a lot of messages oh yeah blah 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 you know and he signed a book to me and um I started going to other meetings. I went to a meeting with one of my other friends and um, I had no idea where these meetings were. He would just be like, okay, we're going to go here. He's like, turn here, turn here. We go here, you know, I'm like, all right. So we go to go to this meeting and I was directly across the street from where I used to pick up every day, like not on the same block, not not on the same street, like directly, I could see the door that I used to go to every day to pick up. And I sat in my car and was like, wow, you know, like I am directly across the street from my addiction, you know, like I didn't even know that there were meetings across the street from this place when I used to pick up there all the time. Like, I couldn't believe that where we were was directly across the street from where I used to pick up you know and I kind of just sat in the car for a while like contemplating and you know thanking God that I had made it across the street you know I was like wow I am directly across the street from my addiction and um I just kept taking the steps towards it you know like um making amends to people telling you know telling people like I I never I was never quiet about it I'm like no I am recovered on purpose like oh yeah I'm a recovered addict you know not not that I am an addict I think that saying that you are recovered is important you know not like oh hi my name is Crystal and I'm an addict yes but I'm an I'm a recovered addict like I have purpose you know and I really feel like my purpose like it was a testimony it was Adam's testimony that really inspired me to to change, to be clean, to do these podcasts, like what you're doing, you know, to, to reach out to other people. Cause I feel like once you've, once you come out of it, it's like our responsibility to reach down and grab the next person and try to pull as many that are reaching as possible. I mean, we can't, we can't reach people that aren't reaching, you know, but the people that are, that are really like, really want to do it. I mean, nobody can do anything for anyone that doesn't want to, you know, it's like, we have this idea that something 
something is going to save us. It's like, yes, there is a being higher than myself. And like, when you pray, pray to God for strength, it's not like you're just going to magically get all this strength. Like you're going to get situations that build your strength, you know, like when you pray for recovery, it's not like it's just going to be handed to you on a silver platter, but you will have these options that, that if you do it, you can do it. You know, if you take, take what's given to you as an opportunity rather than a punishment, then, you know, it actually works, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> Sounds like you've had quite the journey. It's been a long, strange trip for sure. What's that from? Uh, like Grateful Dead. Okay, Grateful Dead, yeah. I know yeah. it was something like that. I was going to say that. Um, So getting towards the end here, let me ask you one last question. Okay. Do you, and you kind of gave some already, but did you have any advice for people watching and listening? Anything specific that you think is going to help them in their journey of recovery that's helped you? The, the number one thing that helped me in my recovery was the way I talked to myself, you know? That's a great one. The way I talk to myself, like, I mean, I, w I used to go around, oh, you're never going to do this. You're never going to do this. You're never going to do this. Like, you're never going to make it out. You're always going to be worthless. You're always, you know, and then I realized that I was just like, the universe only says one thing. Like, it's not this almighty being that's like judging us. All it says is that's correct. Here's some more of whatever you believe. So when I stopped telling myself that I was worthless and that I, that, you know, when I was telling myself that I was worthless and all my friends were just using me and that, you know, everybody's a liar. That's all the universe was providing to me because that's what I believed. You know, it's like, yes, that is correct. Here's some more of all your friends are liars. You are worthless. You know, here's some more things that are going to install that belief into you because that's what you believe. Right. When I started saying I am recovered on purpose, I am writing a book. Like I started saying that I am a published author while I was writing my book, even though I hadn't published my book yet, our internal dialogue, the universe only says that that is correct. Here's some more of that The universe, God, whatever you want to call it, um, the most high, you know, here is you are, you are correct. Here is some more of whatever it is that you believe. And I'm going to continue to, to supply you with more evidence to prove that that's correct. You know? So if we're constantly like, oh, I have to save this money. I have to save this money. I have to save this money because there's not enough money. There's not enough money. There's not enough money. That's all we're going to get back is some more evidence of, yes, that is correct. You have to save this money. You have to save this money. If you're constantly like, oh, I'm never going to win. I'm never going to win. I'm never going to win. Here's some more of, yes, that is correct. You're never going to win. So I think changing our internal dialogue and like, cause words are very powerful. I mean, we're, we're speaking directly to the universe, like inside ourselves all the time. You know, it doesn't matter if we say it out loud or not. The universe doesn't respond to what we say. It responds to how we feel, you know? And it might, it might feel really awkward at first to be like, yeah, I'm recovered, you know, even while you're still smoking a bowl or whatever, you know, but keep telling yourself, I am recovered. Like I am beautiful. I am worthy. You know, keep telling yourself these things because eventually the universe will have no other choice but to provide you with um, with uh, evidence that makes that correct. I am recovered. That is correct. Here's some more of I am recovered. And the more you continue to tell yourself this, not only will you believe it inside yourself, you'll start to actually see it outside of yourself. Because just like 
every seed in the world, like everything starts from within. If we can change our world from within, we can change our entire world from outside of us. And together we can change the entire world altogether, but it starts inside of ourselves, you know? Thank you for that. It's been fun. Um, well, I don't want to say fun, but it's been good uh, interviewing you. I, I really appreciate you sharing your strength and everything you've been through and how you came to recovery. It really means a lot coming on the podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me. Like I'm kind of new to sharing my story. So, um, well, you did a great job. You, you just said you were open and honest. So that's, that's all that matters. And that's what helps people. I'm an open book, literally. Yep, literally (laughs) an open book. So um, one more time, the name of your book, put it up close. It is called Say You Love by Crystal Lavender, and it's on Amazon. And that's Crystal Lavender, like the soap. Like the color. Like the color. Yeah, Crystal Lavender. All right, perfect. So hopefully people will find that. And it's a testimony over triumph over the darkness of childhood trauma and sexual addiction. It's like not my whole biography, but it fits in your back pocket. Like I wanted to make sure I could go give it to people underneath the bridge, you know? So part of your story is also sexual addiction. Yes. Before we go, tell us a little bit about that. Because I've had some people, it seems like people are more secretive about their sex addiction. It seems it's like... I put it this way, I haven't had many people do it. I've only had one sex addict do the podcast. Or at least I've only had one person admit they had a problem with sex. But I think a lot, I've noticed a lot of addicts have sex issues and they have uh, codependency issues. Yeah, it it will because to me, like sex equals love, you know? Exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. Some people think that way. Yeah, and that was my biggest problem is that I, I thought that sex equaled love, you know? And um, it codependency was definitely up there like I'm still in boy rehab you know like I I'm still a recovering codependent addict like I was always trying to fill a void you know but you you can't get over one relationship by getting on top of somebody else you know or under somebody else like there there was never any time for healing you know and I think that I used sex as a form of of love you know and it just ultimately ended up making me making me feel less about myself rather than more, you know, and the person that I was with, you know, ultimately ended up thinking less about me than more, you know, like, I don't know, like that. I read this book one time called, um, why men love bitches, you know, and, um, it's like a lot of us girls, like we, we try so hard, like, okay, oh, you want me to come do your laundry at two o'clock in the morning? I'll be right there. You know what I mean? Like we're the perfect girlfriend. We're, you know, like all this. And we think that that should, that should make somebody like appreciate and love us more, but really it doesn't, you know, because we're not showing that we love ourselves, you know? And if you don't love yourself, like how is somebody else supposed to show you the respect and the love that you are searching for? If you can't even give it to yourself, you know? And I found that like being alone on purpose, like I am single, celibate and sober on purpose with purpose. You know, it's not because I don't have people trying. It's because I have a purpose. I have healing inside of me. I have, you know, um, I have growth that I need to, to take accountability for, you know, like I, I let a lot of situations happen that I didn't want to happen. I, I, I involved myself in a lot of things that, um, I thought was love because, you know, I mean, as that's kind of 
I was groomed into that, into believing that, you know, not only through my own childhood experiences and my young adult experiences, but through music, media, TV, you know, they, like, we have this idea, like, you know, like porn, you know, like you want to be this, this rock star, porn star, but that's completely like those people aren't having a good time. They're, you know, they're performing, they're a performer, you know, and we don't really look at it we don't look at it like they're performing, you know, and I got into a very much like I was never actually present because disassociation, you know, like I, even if I was in the moment, I wasn't in the moment I was performing. So it took a long time for me to actually be in the moment. And the best way that I can give advice for learning how to be in the moment is to pick one person in your life that you give your undivided attention to, right? It is so easy, like when people come in, your kid or your, you know, significant other or your boss, it could be, you could pick any one person you want throughout the day, but when they come to talk to you, give them your undivided attention, listen to what they're saying, respond back to them. Don't pick up your phone, you know, like it's a lot harder than we think it is to even give one person our undivided attention, you know, but it's, it's definitely like that practice has helped me like be more here now you know, to not perform, to actually be present. Yeah. Listening is is an amazing tool. For sure. Most people listen to respond, you know? Yep. They just, they want to be able to hear their own voice. So they're just sucking stuff in. They're not, they're not really, they're hearing the person, but they're not really listening. Yeah. They, we listen to respond, you know? Or we listen to control. Like if our kids come to us telling us about a problem, we instantly, we listen to control. Like we try to fix it instead of just listening and trying to see where they are in their moment. You know, we instantly try to fix and control and, you know, and, and we, we have a hard time just listening, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, like I said, um, you know, that's one of the reasons I created Addicts Anonymous. I want to have addicts, of all shapes and sizes, you know what I mean? Whatever the addiction is, come find a place. So hopefully this reaches someone, you know, that might have a sex addiction, but you know, there's a way out. There's definitely a way out. Like there's always a way out, always. I mean, you can't have a bad day with a good attitude and you can't have a good day with a bad attitude. You know what I mean? So, and that goes with everything, rather you believe you can get out of it or you believe you can't, you're correct in your own world you know like what you believe is ultimately what like if you don't if you don't believe that it's possible then the universe will say that is correct here's some more it is not possible you know but if you start to actually change your inner dialogue to it is possible the universe will say that is correct it is possible and it is a hundred million percent possible but you have to actually start to believe that, you know, you have to find that spark, that spark, that hope, that, that one little bit, you know, to make it grow brighter until it actually is. Cause there is 100%. Like we do recover. It doesn't matter if it's shopping, gambling, codependency, sex addiction, like, I mean, it just, I mean, some people are addicted to anger. They just love being angry. They love the chaos. They, you know, there's so many different forms of addiction, you know, and if you are trying to control something, that means it already has control over you, you know? 
if you're thinking to yourself, like, man, I need to get this under control. That's step number one. That's realizing that you have a problem, you know, that's becoming aware. And I think awareness is like key because before you're aware of stuff, you have no idea, you know, you're like, oh, I don't have a problem. I'm not, you know, once you're, if you're not aware of it, then you, how can you, how can you actually like face it if you have no idea? You know, and I really think the only mistakes we make in life are the ones that we don't learn from. Because if we honestly don't know that the stove is hot and we touch it, how is that actually a mistake? It's not. It's a mistake. You know, you'll get an opportunity. Are you going to touch that hot stove again? You know, but once you realize that you have a problem, it's just like touching that hot stove. The burn's going to get deeper and deeper and hotter and hotter until you, until you what? You have no hand left to touch it anymore, you know? Like the, I think the punishment for like, once we're aware that we have a problem, then it's, it's like connected to the universe, you know, the universe knows we know. So it just gets harder and harder, you know, and I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where like, oh man, I should definitely, this relationship is no good for me. This relationship is no good for me. And had I have just listened to my inner self at that point, it wouldn't have turned into full on tower moment later because the universe will kick that tower over. And if the universe does it, it's usually a hell of a lot worse than if, than if we're just like, okay, I've got to take accountability for this and I'm going to do it myself. Because if we don't do it ourselves and it, the tower gets kicked over, it's usually like way, way worse than if we would have just done it ourselves you know yeah so once again it's been really fun having you on the podcast i really appreciate you doing it did you have anything else you want to throw in um if anybody is struggling you can always reach out to me if my story has touched you in any way you need advice in any way um feel free to message me always reach out how would they get in touch with you um, I am on Facebook, Crystal Lavender on Facebook. Um, you could also go to my website, which is crystal-lavender.com, where you can get a free download of my book. And you can also send me a message. Um, you can also go to the Recovered on Purpose um, page as well. Um, I like to collaborate with people. I think that networking is like, if there's a million of us that have these podcasts and a million of us that are trying to help addicts out there suffering, then there's that a million more people that have an opportunity to to find some hope. So yeah, please feel free to reach out. All right. That's great. All right. So hang tight for me. And for everybody watching and listening, if you like what you saw on her, go below and give us a like. Also subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can check us out on all social media, Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, Instagram, Discord, and TikTok. You can also check out our website, which is www.addicts-anonymous.com. There you'll find plenty of free resources and free literature. So I hope you enjoyed today and until next time.